Welcome to the Deb and Kev podcast. One is a Harvard Business School alum. The other is her son, discussing business, pop culture, family, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Deb and Kev. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the Deb and Kev podcast. Sitting right there is the Paul Harvey of this podcast. It's my mom, Deb. Paul Harvey's dead. I am Deb. And that would make me the disgraced NBC Nightly News host, Brian Williams. I'm her son, Kev, and this is our podcast. Yeah, I know Paul Harvey's dead, but isn't it nice being referred to as Paul Harvey? Didn't everybody love Paul Harvey? Well, explain to the audience, especially the younger portion of the audience, who Paul Harvey is. So Paul Harvey is mostly known for... Was. <laughs> Why do I get to be the dead guy? You get to be the, the shamed guy who I gave you the old guy on late who night died news. and people loved. Okay. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, I love Paul Harvey. And I assumed the mantle of the guy who got kicked mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. the nightly news because he lied about taking fire and then just abruptly quit MSNBC news. I wonder if his shame has dripped onto the family. Is his daughter still acting? What do we know? I haven't seen Allison, Allison Williams. Allison Williams. I think I haven't seen her in forever. I haven't either. Yeah, the whole family. Okay, I'll be Paul Harvey. So Paul Harvey had a great radio voice, first Mm -hmm. of all. And he would, in the best of ways, like, you know, we've talked about, like, Clickbait was one of the movies that I really liked. Um, TV shows. TV shows, a series where you just were so sure you knew what happened. And then, boom, you didn't because the rest of the story played out. So Paul Harvey would, first of all, he had a great radio voice that really was enticing to listen to. um, And he felt like a smart guy. Do you know what I mean? When he talked and he would tell you something and lead you down this pathway where you kind of were with them and you thought you knew what was going on. And then he would always say, stay tuned for the rest of the story. Ooh, that is not what he would say. What would he say? He'd say, and that's the rest of the story. I'm Paul Harvey. Good day. Okay, that's what he would say at the end. There would always be a break. Was there? There was a break. Where oh, you would I don't s- think there was a break. There was a break. I think there was a break where you would stay tuned for the rest of the story. And then there'd be like a radio commercial. Then you'd come back on and he'd finish it. And whatever happened was not what you thought at all. I mean, it took like, you know, sometimes a salacious turn, sometimes just a turn. Um, Paul Harvey was the original serial podcaster before serial podcasts were a podcast and before podcasting was even a thing. He did the true crime drama without actual true crime drama. Right. And when I say salacious, I just mean according to the story, because I don't think Paul Harvey was salacious at all. No. Very, very clean cut, good you know, family man. Yeah, I don't think a guy born in the 20s can be salacious. Uh, of course he can. Think so? But not Paul Harvey. No, Paul, there's a, I I don't know why I thought of giving you Paul Harvey today, but then I Googled Paul Harvey and paulharvey.com comes up and it's just the front page of like him on a typewriter, his wife, Lynn Angel Harvey on the typewriter, Ooh. his son, Paul Harvey Jr., who's got to be like seven years old on a typewriter. And it's clearly a letter written shortly after he died in 2019, saying how we will continue to, you know, report the way my dad reports, and we will continue to, you know, be instruments of of great storytelling. The thing hasn't been updated in eight years. 
Oh, isn't that sad? Yeah. So that didn't work out so well. Not so much. So if I leave you a legacy like that, please don't let it go eight years. I'll be very weighed and measured deciding on whether or not I decide to carry your torch. Do it. Do it. And I mean, not carrying the torch is 100% acceptable. I want you to know that, but don't like bedraggle and drag a torch that's slowly going out in the dirt. Yeah. I think it's weird. Like, how do you carry on your father's life of being like a premier journalist if you yourself are not a premier journalist? I mean, the only way, and, and I think that really is something that has to be well thought out. I mean, especially because it's not he, th- this kid, whoever he is, Paul Harvey Jr., or the wife, may be an integral part of the writing of the story. Maybe they were, right? And we don't know it. But Paul Harvey, his voice, his cadence, the storyteller in him, unless he shares that at some point and introduces other people, meaning an, another partner or a son or something like that, yeah. you can't go from Paul Harvey doing it, and then somebody else doing it and having it be okay. But it's because he's the brand. He's the thing. It's not like, hey, I'm, you know, Bush or Budweiser Industries, and I I created this monster beer company, and now the thing kind of runs by itself, and it's got millions of employees, and and I died, now I just leave it to you. And there's like a board and, you know, regional directors, and I just have to like assume the mantle of whatever that is. Like Paul Harvey is the brand. There is no brand without Paul Harvey. So it's weird to think how somebody could carry that on. I have no idea how we went down this rabbit hole. I blame myself. I used to religiously listen to Garrison Keillor. Oh yeah. Like we'll be gone and all of that. Yeah. Then, you know, wherever Garrison Keillor, Uh, he got caught up in that me too movement. Oh, did he? Okay. But, and so I could even be mad at him for that a little bit, but Garrison Keillor disappeared and I tried to listen because for us, it was always on Saturdays yep. that it would play. And I, I tried to listen to it for a while and couldn't do it. I've never, I mean, since then, I don't, I don't know anything about it. It could be great. I've missed it, but I don't listen. Yeah. Conversely, I believe the, the show you were thinking of is A Prairie Home Companion. A Prairie Home Companion. What's Lake Wobegon? That's where he was from. Oh, okay. He always okay. referenced yeah. Yeah. Lake Wobegon. And you always had those great little background singers. Oh, they were so terrific. Old school radio. Yep. Conversely, then there's Brian Williams, who we all loved Brian Williams. Did we all not think Brian Williams was the best news anchor during his time as NBC anchor? Well, not only that, but Brian Williams managed to do something that I think other guys had struggled. You know, there's the people that we see as a news anchor and we respect them in that position. Yep. Then all of a sudden they're on Letterman and they don't translate because they can't keep up with like normal, funny social banter. And so we put them back in the place behind the news desk. Brian Williams just was charismatic and floated back and forth into a million different worlds that made him so attractive to us all. But I think what was funny was he always felt like the news guy. He was the news guy who was in on the joke, but he wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to be anything other than the news guy. Meaning like, I'll play Brian Williams and I'll play my deadpan, sarcastic, charismatic Mm -hmm. self, but I'm not going to like sell out or undermine what I do as a profession to get a laugh on 30 Rock or on Conan. And he was just uh, the the way he played it, which is, and this is why it was so shocking when all of this stuff that he lied about was uncovered, is there was just a little 
sweet self-deprecation, which made you totally. like him. You know, I mean, like it was like he he was smart, he was good, but he didn't take himself too seriously. And then we found out he was a big fat liar. But isn't it kind of funny when we think about like, okay, so he lied about being in like a war torn Iraq with gunfire. Mm-hmm. And he said that their helicopter took on fire and it didn't. Yeah. Do you think somebody like Brian Williams is like, man, if I could have just held off for like three more years, what I lied about wouldn't have even registered with the public because now it's like, we can't tell what's true, what's not. We just go about our lives and we just assume everybody lies at all things. And if we were to persecute anybody for lying, we would persecute all people. Well, I I mean, I do have to say, if you were at the beginning of something like that and you get crucified for it yeah. and you live through the crucifixion <laughs> to tell the story, it is very distraught when that stuff becomes so ordinary that it's not even news anymore. Well, that's what I'm saying is I like mean, poor so, Brian Williams is like, all I had to do was like wait until Donald Trump got elected and none of my stuff would have remotely mattered. And then, you know, because I can't think of anybody else, any other news guy who took it so hard on the chin other than like, Matt Lauer. Yeah. Who, who, Matt who, Lauer. But even on. still, it's like Matt Lauer was a predator, a clear right. predator, and Brian Williams lied about being shot at. Well, and I, but I do think there was more than just the being shot at. I think there was, I'm just going to say, some general embellishment of some of his life experiences. Still. Yeah. No, no. I'm I mean, you, still, I'm I mean, that sucks for poor old Brian Williams because we all liked him. We all thought he was great. We all tuned into him. I think they dominated the evening news. And then it was like, oh, you lied about being shot at? We don't stand for that. Two years later, it's like, eh, well. Well, you still have a job. Did you sexually assault somebody? You did? Mm, We'll deal with that later. So I didn't watch him on MSNBC at night. No, of course not. I certainly flipped and saw him, knew he was there, and thought, "Mm, good for him. He has a job or they're at least making him work out his contract or whatever, okay? Yeah. So I didn't know. You just said he quit. Yeah. When did he quit? I think like six months ago. And I think it was fairly abrupt. He left this, he he had this kind of haunting message about the the um, the people that we're electing are supposed to be above the fray, but we find them in the in the mob and you know, these are dangerous times and we have forks in the road. Like it was this very ominous mm. statement as he left. And from everything that I read at the time, which I clearly don't remember too much about, it caught most people off guard. Interesting. You know, uh, I've got to tell you, unless you're just a sensationalist at heart and live for that stuff, which I do believe he was not. Jimmy, he was a journalist. Um, Reporting today's news has got to be a tough gig. Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument that that we use the word news like we use the word phone for what we keep in our pockets. It's nothing like a phone. And the news is nothing like news. It's, it's, It's pop culture. It's internet memes and videos rarely do you find something outside of like Reuters or the AP that is fully functional, unbiased news. I mean, I think, and this is evidence of the news. If I I pulled the news up on my phone the other day, and of course it was really Omicron laden, right? Uh, All the data of that, all the flight cancellations and all that's news for sure, right? Um, The dramatic weather, meaning our crazy weather we're having and then the warm weather. Yeah, apparently we're the only place that got any weather last week. Right, And, and that's all news as far as I'm concerned. And then that Chris Kardashian brought up, bought all of her children matching funny little, I don't even know if they're cars or golf carts or what they are, but did you see, have you seen? Not on the Kardashian news cycle, Deb. Okay, no, it, this was on the regular, it was, that was like the order it went, like Omicron, weather, Kardashians. Yeah. That shouldn't be on my thing. I agree. 
Yeah, it's wrong. It's not news. I don't care. I'm curious about the car. Is it a car? Is it a golf cart? What the heck is it? It was cute. I'm not going to lie. And that's why it was on your feed because they force <laughs> something to you that you say on your own podcast you don't want and you finish it by saying, but I'm kind of curious about what kind of car they bought them. <laughs> it was cute. That's why yeah. it populates your quote unquote news feed. Speaking of news. Yes. Dare we try to bring people the news one more time. So listen, I this was really my idea. I have to say that way back. I when. have never taken responsibility for it because it's even funnier that it was your idea and yet you fail uh, miserably I, at I it every fail time. fail miserably. It's true, I do. But I will tell you this. I don't agonize over this the way I, over, the way I agonize over a good job internet, okay? So let me read this text I sent to Deb because this will just show you <laughs> what I have to deal with every single time I have to tell her we're doing this segment that she came up with. I said, please don't forget, you need three fun and or quirky stories for today's pod. Her immediate response, like from where? Where do I find those? Wait. Where where do you find fun, quirky uh, stories? Okay. It took every say- ounce of me to not screenshot <laughs> the Google logo and say, you can go to this website and put in keywords, and oftentimes you'll get what you need. Hey, listen, I got out of the house today for my, well, I thought it was for myself, but it was actually a client of mine from Chicago was in town, and we had coffee, and it was, I had a moment, like, I was just not with you, so I'm sorry, but that is pretty funny. Like, for what? For what? From what? Where do I find news stories? Uh, so I have no idea what Deb is coming mm-hmm. to the table with, which of course makes for the best episodes imaginable, <laughs> as well as the best segments we do. So I'll go first. Oh no, I want to go first. You want to go first. Uh-huh, I you go dare first. to go first mm-hmm. and risk being mm-hmm. completely off. Mm. No, I'm I'm confident today. Because <laughs> last time I said for you to turn to the internet, yeah, you referenced. <laughs> The, the all of the apps, all of like the big websites listening to us, tracking all of our typing and movements on the internet and said, isn't that cool that we have no privacy? Isn't that great? The thing all of us hate, all of us in unison think is the worst thing about cell phones and the internet in 2022. You're like, it's kind of cool though, right? That they just listen to us and okay. force feed us our own words. I was ill prepared. Today I am prepared. I've got a good one. I want to lead. Well, I want to be the kickoff. TBD on whether or not you're prepared. <laughs> okay, are you ready? I am unbelievably ready. Okay, this is going to start with I'm going to pose a couple questions to you. Okay? <laughs> okay. So, let's say that you are you have a trip upcoming on an airplane, a really long <laughs> okay. flight. All sure. right. Yep. Like you're going from, I don't know. Let's say like. Chicago to Reykjavik, Iceland. Is it Reykjavik? Is that how you say it? Reykjavik. Reykjavik. Okay. So I've got to believe that's like many hours, right? 10, 12 hours, something like that. Sounds right. Okay. So you're on the plane. You're having a grand old time. You start to sniffle. You start to cough. And you think, oh no, like what if I have something? Okay. First question. If you had, if you had, which most people would not, but if you had and had access to it, like in your backpack or handbag or whatever, a COVID test, would you take it on the plane? Just so you know, there are three flights per week from Chicago to Reykjavik, and the duration is six hours and 10 minutes. 
Oh, okay. Well, good. Now we know. Six Just hours. For anybody who I was curious. I thought it curious. would be longer. Yeah. I thought it would be longer. Okay. Would you take the test? Would I take the if test? If you got a little sniffly, like an hour into it. And run the risk that they wouldn't let me into Reykjavik? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. You have to weigh all that out. I mean, you don't have to tell anybody. That's what I'm saying. You can go in the bathroom and take the test. I might take the test just to see what I'm dealing with. But if it came back positive and I just spent a lot of money to go to Reykjavik, which we all know Iceland is extremely expensive, um, selfishly, I'd probably just shove that deep down into my bag. And if I didn't feel symptomatic, continue on my trip. Okay. So there was a woman who got on the plane going to Iceland from Chicago and she did the exact thing what I described. An hour into it, she got a little sniffly. She started getting a little cough. She had a quick test in her bag. So she goes to the restroom and does the test real quickly. Okay. okay? Because she didn't want to see any, have anybody see her. You know, they would obviously know what she was doing and then people would freak out. The test comes back positive. She's in the restroom. She calls a flight attendant. The flight attendant comes. She shows her why the positive test. I'm just telling you what she did here, Kev. So she like this is the dilemma. Like, what would, would you if you had? T- this is first the of girl. All, I wouldn't take the test. This is the girl in fourth grade who the bell rings. She raises her hand and says, "Mrs. Zener, you didn't give us any homework tonight." That's the girl. That's the girl. That's the girl. So first of all, I don't think I would even take the test because I think I would be. If I were positive, I would be so torn. Plausible deniability. Plausible deniability. And also, I honestly don't think like, I mean, like sniffles and a cough would be enough to make me want to even waste a test. I would have to feel way worse than that. Okay. But, and also I would think, hey, look, you're on the plane. The plane is in the air. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? What are we doing this for six or seven hours? We, we're committed, right? I mean, what are you going to do? On the flip side, for all of those that are judging that comment of mine, I would say I literally would double mask up. I always have ex- extra masks. I probably wouldn't eat or drink anything. I tried to be very, very, very careful about anything and everything. I'm saying this. If you're listening to this podcast and you side with the woman, what are you doing listening to this podcast? <laughs> like well, this is the true. last podcast you should be that's listening true. to. So, I mean, I, I understand the dilemma and I would look at around at all the innocent masked faces yeah. and I would silently be praying for them and offering yep. up apologies to God and everybody else. Oh yeah, big time. But I don't think I would take the test. No shot. Okay. Now, if for some reason I lost my mind uh-huh. and had to go back into the restroom and take the test, and if it were positive, that sucker would get flushed into the blue water where no man could ever find it. Oh, see, I wouldn't let it leave my purse. Oh, no, I don't want it to be found if they happen to go through my bags at Rake when I go into customs or oh, immigration. Fair. No, 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 no. It is gone. It is gone, and my fingerprints will not be on it. In fact, maybe I used a glove when I did the test, okay? Okay, I feel like uh, this is a little more pre-planned now, but okay. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm just, you know, we have the we have the gift of 2020 because it's her story. You know, we mm-hmm. can look back. So 2020 vision, not the year 2020. 2020 was not a gift. What she chose to do, keep in mind the girl from fourth grade. Unbelievable. Is call the flight attendant over and show her that the test was positive. She on her own decided that she would fly the rest of the flight, which was over five hours in the bathroom. She never left the bathroom. She self-isolated there on her own. 
flight attendants checked on her. The flight attendants brought her food, brought her drink. Now I'm like, did they just let that? So here's the thing. Everybody just sit for a minute and picture a restaurant. I mean, a restaurant, a uh, airplane bathroom. I'm familiar. Okay. It's not comfortable. Well, no, for the six foot seven guy, it's not comfortable. And I want you to think of shelf space. I mean, if shelves, yes, counter space, counter space, all six inches of it, six inches and a sink. Cause at that point you have to count the sink as counter space. Yeah, well, right? I'm counting everything. I'm counting the floor as counter space. You might have to turn around and on some planes they have the diaper change thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. You might have to pull Take a little down. nap, Take, rest your head. <laughs> exactly. And just straddle the toilet going the other way. Yeah. So they bring her food, they bring her drink. I mean, the good thing is she's in the restroom, right? I mean, like if, if she's... That's the good thing? For five hours, she landed while she was in the restroom. Which is definitely an FAA violation. Obviously. And then they, I guess they deboarded everybody else. So clearly she, she's willing to follow some rules, but not all rules. So... Uh, Hypocrite. But then I'm like, here's what I want to know. If they brought her food and they brought her snacks, do you know what I mean? And stuff to eat. Yeah. And then, they just threw it at her and shut the you door. You can't throw the debris back, give the debris back out. You can't give. Well, there's trash cans in there. Yeah, well. And the, everybody who's handling the trash has gloves and masks on. So then they took her straight through. They let her in to Iceland, but she had to go straight to a hotel and quarantine for 10 days. She's the type of person to where she probably said, is it safe to open up the rear doors. And if you have a parachute, I'll just jump out. I will, because I feel bad for those 120 souls that I might. might I know it's certain death, but I'll do it. I mean, what an insane story. What an insane person. Like, I mean, I guess it's good that people like that exist in some respect. Like hopefully she's an accountant, but like, come on, there is, there is nobody you are harming, but yourself because the studies have come out that said, Spreading on airplanes is actually really difficult because of the filtration system that that all airplanes have. So if anything, just go back, be hyper aware of what you're touching, how you're breathing, that your mask is always on. You're going to go through Reykjavik. They're going to ask you to take a test or when you get to your hotel, they're going to have you show a positive test or your vaccinations or whatever. But like, what is this self-inflicted pain? hours in an airplane bathroom. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And not, nonetheless, it's true. Well, that's good. Yeah, that would be weird if you made it up or if they made it up. I actually have a story that'll piggyback off of lies, but I want to hit you with this one first. Okay. okay. Deb, that's a good story. Thank you. Congratulations. Deb. Thank you. Good lead off story. It's a very strong lead off story, mostly because you weren't making it up off the top of your head. I wasn't. In the middle of the podcast. All of my stories are real today. Brian Williams would be proud. <laughs> Shout out, Brian Williams. All right. My story, my first story, okay, is about my old guy. His name is Aaron M. Epstein. Or Epstein, but probably Epstein, given everything we know about Epstein right now. He's a 90-year-old AT&T customer who lives in North Hollywood, California. Okay? All right. Here's the thing that's most relatable to this story. Every single person, no matter who your provider is, hates their provider for television, phone, or internet. Oh, we hate them. Everybody hates them. It doesn't, I, like, I, I think Verizon's good. I don't have Verizon. I think Verizon is good until I talk to Verizon people. Yep. And then they go, it's not that good, and it's way more expensive than everything else. And so. everybody knows that Wi-Fi, internet, that they all turn the tap off. 
mm-hmm. that it's never running at 100%. I don't even know the verbiage about internet, highway, right. MPS, all this stuff. We just know that it's never at 100%, that it's maybe ever operating at the most 33%. Well, and here's another thing I know. Like 5G is being advertised. Yeah. 5G doesn't even exist yet. Nope. 5G is nowhere. A lot of carriers don't have the tower set up for 5G. Right. I mean, some do in like major cities like LA or New York, but most most providers don't even have the towers that are can equip 5G. So what did my guy, Aaron M. Epstein, do? He did what only a 90-year-old could do. He thought of what's the main way I can call out AT&T, his provider, for decades. How can I call them out in a public manner? Didn't go to the news. Didn't go to the internet. Didn't go to Facebook, Google, nothing. He bought a column. He bought, a, he bought some ad space in the local paper. God bless Aaron. And Aaron M. Epstein, all 90 years of him, wrote an open letter as a paid advertisement to Mr. John T. Stanky, CEO of AT&T. God bless Aaron. And this is what Aaron says. Dear Mr. Stanky, AT&T prides itself as a leader in electronic communications. Unfortunately for the people who live in North Hollywood, California, 91607, AT&T is now a major disappointment. Many of our neighbors are the creative technical workers in the Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney Studios in the adjacent city of Burbank and our city. We need to keep up with current technology and have looked to AT&T to supply us with fast internet service. Yet, although AT&T is advertising speeds of 100 MBS for other neighborhoods, the fastest now available to us from AT&T is only 3 MBS. I don't know what MBS is, but I'm sure it's quality. Your competitors now have speeds of over 200 MBS. Why is AT&T, a leading communications company, treating us so shabbily in North Hollywood? Okay, this is what I have to say. I have to interrupt for a minute. Sincerely, Aaron M. Epstein. God, God, right now, hear my voice. Please let my mind be as sharp as Aaron Epstein's at that age. I mean... What? A customer since 1960. And what does my guy do? He gives his phone number in an ad as well as his email address. And then under it says, paid for by Aaron M. Epstein. Oh my God, I love it. Do we know has AT&T responded? Here's what I want to tell you about how much this ad cost him though. How much? 10 G's. Oh, Aaron. 10 grand. Aaron was so unbelievably mad at his Wi-Fi speed that he was willing to dip into his savings. And I'm assuming Mm. he has some form of money because he's 90 willing to take out 10 G's and pay five figures to just write an open advertisement to anybody within AT&T's reach and say, hey, Mr. Stanky, I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, I love it. And then what happens? Nothing. Well, first of all, I would have called I would have called him and said, hey, my new best friend, could we get together and have coffee sometime? I mean, I would have at least written him an email and applauded his effort. I mean, I hope that his phone is ringing off the hook, and I hope that people are wanting to know him for sure. The next day, two technicians showed up at his door, and they fitted him with new fiber optic lines behind his house. All right, Aaron. Now, 
here's what's great about this story. This guy just said, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, right? And he had the means and the old school know-how to express his frustration. But that's the world we live in right now. A 90-year-old who has been a client of AT&T's for over, how many years? 60 years has to spend $10,000 in a newspaper to get anybody to do anything that they should just be doing routinely. That's crazy. Then here's the real question. Yeah. Did those guys coming out show up on his bill? Probably. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the worst, right? This is that moment where if you and I were in PR, we would look at this and we would say, well, we're flying him out and we're going to have a meet and greet with the CEO and we're going to go to his building and we're going to go to the surrounding area and we're going to strip all the old lines. We're going to give them all the new, the new high, high Wi-Fi definition, fiber optic cables. And we're going to make sure that everybody within a four block radius of Aaron Epstein is getting the fastest, most unregulated open tap Wi-Fi that we can possibly manage. And we're going to, we're going to turn this into a win for us. I agree. I mean, there isn't enough you can do. The last thing I would have done was just send two technicians. Send two anonymous guys. Yeah, no, no way. I mean, no way. Um, But God bless him for doing it. And I do want to say, I'm just so glad that AT&T did something. Something. It got attention, right? Certainly not enough for my liking. Agreed. But it got attention. And I do think like there's something so beautiful about him putting his email and phone number out there. Oh yeah. I would just I, I just hope that he was flooded with affirmations and accolades and love. That's what I hope. His his email address is a packbell.net, which is funny to me. Oh my God, that is hysterical. Your turn. Kevin, I picked this one because you're a tall guy. True. And so I thought you might be interested in it. So I don't know if you know this, but a lot of research is being done on height because we're getting taller as a species. That's facts. Okay. So one of the reasons that um, scientists think we're getting taller is... Hormones in all of our food. (laughs) Well, that could be, but that wasn't in the article. Okay. They did say the quality of our food overall is better. We have access to healthier food. Okay. And we have, and we, just like we develop, like, you know, when you hear about species of animals changing and developing um, to adapt to their climate, Mm -hmm. we do the same thing. We're wired the same way. So some of that stuff will show in us. And our diets, the diets that we have today, um, are, are healthier by far than the diets of 50 or 100 years ago. And it's showing in the form of height. But height is interesting because they look at the genes of people that are high, high, taller. Taller. I was going to say higher here for a minute. They look at the genes. Do you know that you, the taller people of the world, are genetically more fertile than the shorter people of the world? I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> We're better in every other aspect. Well, not necessarily. But fertility is a gene that they can measure than the quality of fertility. So- who are the tallest men in the world? It's a country. Oh, somewhere in Scandinavia. Dutch. Yeah. Okay, close. Tallest women, Latvia. Oh, shout out all my Latvian lovers. All your Latvian lovers. So your woman is in Latvia. You've got to got go it. find her. If you're going to really take the species. Yeah, to the to, next to, to the, the, next. Uh, the next freakish level. For God's sakes, don't marry a short girl. Nope. Do you know what I mean? You can marry her. You just can't reproduce with her. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the the egg from this other freakishly tall human being, right. we'll put it inside you, 
birth might kill you because you're going to be giving birth to something equally as big as you. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. just know that we will have either a WNBA or an NBA superstar paying for us in 18 years. So it's all going to be fine. It'll be worth it. Um, She can have a C-section. It won't be a problem. Perfect. So the average woman in Latvia, average, is five foot eight. Now, I'm five foot eight, and I know... You're tall. I, well, yeah. And I don't think it's tall like like Jill is six feet tall, our friend. But it's not tall like that. But there aren't a lot of women that when I'm walking around that I feel like I... That are taller than, than I am, that I look up, you know, sure. for a woman. Um, and then with men, I mean, you're just beyond. You know, it's something like tall in... Um, the Netherlands or in du- Dutchland, whatever we call it today, Holland, Holland um, is like six foot, between six foot one and six foot two. I had to change the centimeters. So, I mean, Kevin. Got them. You have, you've got them. I actually saw this TikTok the other day. This guy was six foot 10. He was oh, a gosh. vegan and he, and he was jacked. He weighed like 300 pounds of just muscle. How and a vegan? Yeah, that, it was wild. He must consume like so carefully, pick his food to make sure that it's just nutritious. He probably eats like four thousand calories a day, if not more. If not more, six ten. Yeah, you eat four thousand calories a day, just about. I don't. Don't you? Nope. How much? How many calories a day on the average? Do you uh, eat? Like twenty five hundred. Really? Yep. Mm, okay. No wonder I'm gaining weight. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so. They're right now in the process of taking the tall people. So be careful if they come for you, okay? Of taking the tall people. We're trying to separate genes out. We know the thing about fertility. We believe that the fertility gene is key to some other genes, right, that can help perfect the human species. So what you're telling me is I already have a totally irrational, narcissistic self-esteem that exists about your height. And now science is telling me not only am I right to think that I should actually be even more proud of my physical attributes that I have had nothing to do with because genetically speaking, I'm almost perfect. Mm, I don't know if they brought perfection. That's, that's what I got from it? that. That's yeah, what I, yeah. I mean, if I can speak science Through your narcissistic filter. What that sounds like to me is, Kevin, why are you better than everybody? <laughs> because, hey, I'm not six foot one. No. I'm not six foot two. If anything, I'm seven <laughs> times better than those people. I mean, Deb, good for you. You Thank produced you. me, so yeah. you get credit for this as well. But I mean, how great is it that I get to be me? Well, and how great is it that I have now two newsworthy articles that I've kind of hit out of the ballpark, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, we take anything as far as Deb took time to write it down on a loose leaf piece of paper. And guess what? What? It's all true. It's all freaking true. I didn't make anything up. Kevin is better than everybody simply because he's taller than everybody. So to all of our female listeners in Latvia. Yeah. Kevin, of which there are many. Kevin is soon to be coming to get you. Do you have an extra one or are you only at two? I have three. Oh, heck yes. All right, Deb. I love it. All right, Deb. This this next story takes us to the Great White North. Is the Great White North Canada or is that Alaska? I think let's call it the Yukon and envelop both. The Yukon Territory. Well, the Yukon Territory is, is Canada. Is Canada. But, you know, it, but, it butts right up. It leans next to Alaska. The Great White North. Deb, if I told you something that was quintessential Canadian yes. that they were running out of, yeah. what would you think I'm talking about? I hope it's not maple syrup. Deb, 
Oh, is it? It's maple syrup. Oh, no. I mean, that's the only thing I really care about from Canada. Here in America, we always like are on a gas so- shortage or we're always on a toilet paper shortage or we're on COVID test shortages. Nobody, nobody in Canada worries about any of those things. All they worry about is their maple syrup. And because they worry about their maple syrup and they know that lean times like this are, are potentially on the horizons, they have stockpiled maple syrup to the likes of which blew my freaking mind. How much maple syrup do you think Canadians have stored for when they are in a maple syrup shortage? Couple questions. Yes. So do they store it like, is it gallons or is it like barrels like oil? Like, do we know like how they store it? The measurement does of it? not give it gives the overall measurement. So my my assumption is they keep it in monster vats. Oh, because they're metric anyways. Yeah. Um okay, I'm just gonna go with okay, maple syrup. I mean, how long does maple syrup even keep? For a while. Um I'm gonna go big. Go big. Five hundred million vats. Okay. So oh vats? No, well that's I don't not vats. Five five no. Five Hundred million gallons. I'm going to say gallons. So the Canadian group Quebec Maple Syrup Producers recently announced it was going to release about 50 million pounds of its strategic maple syrup reserves, about half of the total stockpile. So they had a hundred million pounds of maple syrup in reserve just in case. I wonder what a pound of syrup, you know, like a pound... Depending on what it is, a pound of this is not a pound of that, right? Of course. I wonder a pound of syrup, what it really is. Like, is it 12? What's well, a pound? No, I know it's, it's a 16 pound. ounces. Is it 16 ounces, Okeb? Is it a, pound, a liquid pound? A, a liquid pound. But is it a liquid? It's pretty thick. I mean, it's heavier than water. Syrup One is heavier liquid than pound water. to cups or to ounces, right? We want ounces? Yeah, yeah. Or, but do it to water. Maple syrup to water. One pound is 14, or it's 15.34 water fluid ounces. Ah, okay, so, so. So one pound of syrup is probably, let's just say, 7.34 ounces. Ugh. Okay, so this makes me really unhappy, and I think. Why? I'm, because that there's a shortage. Yeah, but it's just for the, the Canadians. But here's what's kind of crazy. So Quebec is like the world's largest maple syrup producer, they supply nearly 70% of the world's maple syrup. No, that's what, like, I think our syrup in the cabinet, because we do use real maple syrup, I think the syrup in the cabinet is from Canada. Now, why do you think that syrup demand worldwide jumped 21% last year? Because everybody stayed home and cooked. Think so? Yeah, I think that's it. But I mean, what do you put syrup on besides the main staples? Like who is mainlining waffles and pancakes? Well, I want to tell you that we went through a lot of syrup ever since dad discovered the monster muffin thing. We put a half a cup of syrup in that. But that's us. Well, We're super duper healthy. I have to thing. keep my genetic superiority oh, I, yeah, yeah, healthy yeah, yeah. at all times. So we use that real good Canadian maple syrup. I'm going to go to Costco and buy four of them tonight. If I know for, for a fact that they keep, because it's going to, the price is going to go up. It's I think it's right now $13 for that container at Costco. The Quebec maple syrup producers 
anticipating that the demand is either staying where it's at or increasing, are planning on tapping 7 million more trees in the future to replenish the reserves because that should yield somewhere like $21 million of maple syrup. So here's where I thought you were going with this. I thought you were going to tell me that the shortage of maple syrup had something to do with like climate change. Or no, something. it has to do with worldwide demand. It's demand. People just want their syrup. Wow. There's a fun little tidbit on here that said the um, reserve uh, nine years ago took a hit because 3,000 tons of maple syrup was stolen from their stockpile. To yeah. the tune of 19 million Canadian dollars. Yeah, I'd steal. I'd Can you steal fathom being sooner. like, we're not hitting banks. Yep, no. We're not hitting casinos. Liquid gold in Canada is the maple syrup, baby. And we are going to go steal 3,000. I don't even know how you Food steal 3,000 tons of anything, let alone successfully steal it. And it's maple syrup. It's a liquid. Like, do you just drive up with a big rig and you just start piling stuff in there? It was like, oh, hey, mate. Okay, we'll see you later. All right, you hoser. <laughs> well, here's what I want to know. It's not obviously packaged in small little no. half-gallon containers. It's in barrels. It's I'll in bet. barrels. And so, I mean, do you go sell it in barrels? And then, I mean, do we you got to scream a deal on this maple syrup here. <laughs> scratch the name off the side. Oh, no, it's just, it's, we sell it in barrels. It's really organic. It's $10 yeah. a barrel. Oh my gosh. So don't worry. Canada, Canadians are fully stocked and ready should there be more maple syrup demand. Good. But I just thought that was like, is that like the most Canadian story ever? I love it. The world wants more syrup and Canada's like, hold my beer. We got tons of syrup. We've got tons of syrup. We'll tap the reserves. We're all good. Yeah, absolutely. And now we get to make our muffins and I get to stay as alpha as ever. Right. Yes. Thanks, Canada, for letting me still be a superior genetic. You know specimen. what I'm going to do? I'm going to start praying for that Latvian woman. That she gets out of Latvia? <laughs> well, that number one, we find her. And number two, that she stays really healthy. What do you think a traditional Latvian woman's name is? Just give me uh, oh, just give me an know. idea of what you think it I is. I mean, Latvia is one of those funny countries. Like, where does it even fit in? I'm going to say, I don't know. Uh, hold on. Let me think. Oh, here we got a whole list. of yeah, Anna. The internet Anna. is wild. Anna. I love the internet. There's an Anna in for sure. The number one Latvian Petra? name yeah. is, oh, this is wild. Adrian's. A-D-R-I-A-N-S. Adrian's. Oh, that's a nice name. Adrian's. And for men, it's Alexander's. A-L-E-X-S-A-N-D-R-S. Is, is everybody a plural of Alexander's. Um, How many Adrian's and Alexander's? Apparently a lot because it's number one and number one. Okay, give us one more name of the women. Um the number two name for men is Alexis, A-L-E-K-S-I-S. Kind of like Alexander's. And then number two for women is Emils, a variant of Emily, E-M-I-L-S, Emils. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to go with Adrian's. But then there's some wild names on here. There's Casimirius, mm-hmm. there's Labrentius, there's mm-hmm. Leonhards, Ludwigs, Maxims. There's some great bizarre, absolutely fictitious names that nobody probably ever has in Latvia, but these just stem from like 400 years ago. But I choose to believe, look, you said Petra. There's a Pateras in here, a Pateras. All right. I'm good. Shout out Latvia for cool names. Yeah, there you go. I love it. (laughs) Go for it. Okay. Are you ready? Red D. Okay. In the city of, I want to say this right. I think it's Pio Pio Bicho. Pio Bicho. P-I-O-B-I-C-C-O. Pio Bico. It's an Italian city. 
It has 2,000 people in it. Oh, it's Italian. Bia Bia Cho. Okay, thank bia, you. Bia Bia Cho. Thank you. Okay. So, since 1879. Uh-huh. I think last time you did a story, you did a story about Italy. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Since 1879, mm-hmm. they have had an ugly club. Shout okay. out all the uggos and Pia Bicho. They celebrate ugly people. Don't we all? I've seen, I mean, I don't because I'm a genetic specimen, but. So I watched a video that showed interviews of a lot of the people that were in the ugly club. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think anybody was particularly ugly. Well, that's nice. I mean, really. I mean, like everybody, they seemed fun loving, good natured, but really, honestly, not. Well, I mean, ugly. they should be if they're ugly. They're not bringing much else to the table. So here's the thing they started celebrating. The Ugly Club, because they pe- felt like people that were unattractive. This is way back when. People that were unattractive. Does it say when it got started? Yeah, 1879. 1879. Were not celebrated enough, you know, just in the daily daily life, okay. right? So right now, now remember that Pio Bicho, Pio only, Bicho. only has 4,000 inhabitants. But right now there are 30,000 worldwide members of the Ugly Club of Pia Bicho. That okay? number seems a little low to me. <laughs> so here's basically what they say. You have to apply. Okay. You have to send a picture. Okay. A senior member of the club. Yeah. Like a little panel. Dude, I'm doing Several this. People. We're doing this. Okay. We are doing this. They have to assess your ugliness. Love it. Okay. So you have to be approved. Do you think people make ugly faces when they send them in or they just smile? Well, here's how it goes. When they analyze your picture... You could go from undefined ugly, okay, which is just low. That's undefined ugly. Like you're just, it's universally believed that you're ugly. But it's not because you have such a big nose. It's undefined. Yeah, you're just ugly. We just look at you and we know you're ugly. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Okay. Two, extreme ugliness. And you can go anywhere in the middle of that. Nice. There's extreme ugliness for a reason. And then there's undefined ugly. Do Do you think the uglier you are, the higher up you raise in the Uggo Club? Oh, I, I think so. But I didn't see any really ugly people. I'm going to say that. Okay. okay. So here's the thing. They were trying to destigmatize the outward appearance, saying that what really counts is who we are soulfully and what our character is all about. Okay? I guess. But there's one that. thing that I loved that they said. They celebrate, they celebrate um, and applaud heroes, people of good character, people that are empathetic, the inside of you is important. And in fact, beauty is, is equivalent to slavery because you will spend so much time and be bound by so many you know, difficulties in your attempt. Kevin's like smirking right now. Well, I mean, I will say this. The slavery doesn't come from anything difficult. The slavery comes from upkeep and Up- trying try. to stay exactly. what exactly. people perceive as good looking. So every year they have an election day. The guy that is, that is currently president, who I thought was fine looking, and I mean, and I will say he was very um, he was very animated and charismatic. Spoke great English. Um, he's been the president for the last eight years. But there is a huge festival. There's a parade. I mean, there is a huge celebration in the bars and the restaurants, and they're trying to destigmatize again what someone's outward appearance. And let's look at each other soulfully, get to know one another, and we will all then be beautiful. Well, these people aren't remotely ugly. No, they're not. These people, I mean, this guy's just fat. This guy has a goatee. This guy's wearing a top hat. This guy's wearing some acne. Are you going to jo- join the ugly club? 
I mean, like, I think it's a pretty low bar to join the Ugly Club. A lot of these people just look like they woke up from a bender. Well, listen, what I thought was, you know, I guess. Oh, this guy's real lazy eyed, though. (laughs) This guy has some bushy brows and two eyes going in very different directions. So everybody out there, Google the Ugly Club. I think it might be fun to join. I would love it if somebody didn't get accepted. This guy just looks like Tony Bennett. <laughs> here's here's what I think we should do as a podcast. Okay. Here's what you should and I will for sure do. And anybody else that wants to join us, we will all collectively submit photos to the Pia Bicho Ugly Club mm-hmm. so that we can have residents in the United States, of which I'm sure there are people who, right. who exist of in the, the United 30, States. 000. I would love nothing more than to be knocked down a peg or two and gain formal entry into the The Pia Beach show Ugly Club. So, Kevin, you've Googled it and pulled it up, okay? Can you, is there anything you can tell us, like in just looking? Well, at it I right actually now? don't have a website. The first thing I clicked on was a Vice article, and they had a bunch of headshots. But I guess there's a uh, a Facebook page, uh, Meet the Ugly Club or Club de Bruti um, from Bibicho, Italy. You see my Spanish, my Spanish, my Italian is yeah. spot on. Ugliness is a virtue, beauty is slavery. Um, oh, does it say that? It does. Yeah. It does say that. There's no like formal website, which okay, I think is we hilarious. Will figure it out. We will figure it out because we want to apply. I hope that they actually make us send in like a real letter. I hope so. Oh, that would be great. If you had to submit a real letter with, with a, a like photo. a physical photo, yeah. handwritten about why you think you're ugly enough to join this club. And l- let's just submit like copies of our passport photos. Well, yeah, because nobody looks good nobody in those. Nobody looks good in those. Although these high definition photos of these people, I think even if you're ugly, a high def photo makes you look kind of good. Hey, I th- I didn't think anybody. There was a video I watched. I didn't think anybody was ugly, ugly. I thought everybody was completely normal to good. Yeah, I agree. So how did I do today, Kev? I think you did pretty well. I'm yeah. not going to lie to you. You did pretty good. We talked about far too rule following Icelanders. Oh my gosh. We talked about, what was the other one? Well, you assumed she was Icelandic. She could have been American. True. What was the other one that you did? What was the other one? Tall. 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 Sorry. Come on. Sorry. I was too busy looking ugly people. We <laughs> talked about all the beautiful people who are extremely fertile and are going to make the world a better place. Didn't say anything about them being beautiful, by the way. And how I'll eventually be their leader. And then we went to the total opposite end of the spectrum mm-hmm. to the people that apparently nobody wants to procreate with. And they started mm-hmm. their own club, which somehow only has 30,000 people. Only has 30,000. So I'm dying. I'm Listen, if we go to Italy again, we're going to be a beach Be a beach uh, my final story is actually something that I referenced, I think, in a podcast a couple weeks ago where I said, if you're going to lie on a resume, just go Frank Abagnale Jr. style and yeah. just go, go for it. all in. Not a little lie. No, big lie. Yeah. You yeah. lie You lie until you are backed in a corner and then you just keep on lying, yeah. right? Yeah. And slash your own throat before you admit anything. A thousand percent. Yeah. And then as you're yeah. slashing your own throat, you keep lying. Yeah, exactly. Until, oh, until, it's just, until you're just gurgling. I've always said- with if you're gonna lie, you better commit to it. Yep. And with a knife at your throat, you don't give it up. I remember during the recession, like in 2007, 2008, we were watching the news, and there was people who owned a boutique who we knew who were on the news, and they were being interviewed because they were saying how difficult business was and how trying it was and how they're up against the wall and this, that, and everything else. And you looked at me and you said, 
I would tell them everything's great. I would tell them we're selling clothes left and right. We plan on being open forever. And I would tell them everything was as good as can be expected, even if I knew I was closing our doors tomorrow. For sure. You said I would never let anybody know that things were not okay in my business. I think that people, I think what people do, and I mean, like this works for a minute, is people go for the pity vote. I mean, or the pity buy in that case, right? That everybody will feel so bad for me that they'll come and spend some money. And that is absolutely true, that that will happen. It's the thing of like the news the next day is like, oh my gosh, and they sold out of everything and blah, 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 blah. The long-term thing is, oh my God, we've got the secret and we are doing it and we are killing it and we are open. And guess what? Don't worry about us because people want to come in and see that. They want a little of that to rub off. Because you're incepting them. What you're saying is our store is so good and all the things we have or our restaurant or our bar or whatever, everything we do is so great that we are managing to not only be open, but be profitable. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is doing it wrong. We're doing it right. And then you're just forcing people to walk in and be like, wow, they really are doing it right. And really all they're entering is just a normal shop. Exactly. I no, love it. I, I would never do the, I, I'd never do the, you know, like you'll find out that the door is closed when the door is closed. Yeah. So speaking of gaslighting people, um, Frank Abagnale Jr., is a real human being. He yeah. wrote the book, Catch Me If You Can. It was a memoir of him that Steven Spielberg bought the rights to and turned into the movie, Catch Me If You Can. Right. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. And Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks. So this would have happened early enough in time in like the 60s where there was no internet. There was nobody cross-referencing any of the stories he was telling, and Frank Abagnale Jr. was like on talk shows and The Tonight Show talking about all of his crazy life and all the stuff that he did and all the checks that he um, forged and all the flights that he oh, took. Oh, this is after he was caught. Yeah. But oh, okay. I mean, this was part of him promoting his book, right? Which oh, okay. eventually got optioned into a movie that we, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it because it's a really good movie. Yeah, it's great. But I think it's it's just when you when you remember that the story is supposed to be about a 16-year-old impersonating a pilot that he actually flies at some point in time. And then he impersonates a lawyer and impersonates a doctor. And he actually had to take the bar in Louisiana and, and he passed it. It's incredible. It's an incredible story until he was eventually caught in France trying to print his own like Deutschmarks. And then the FBI said, Hey, you've, you faked this so well, we're actually going to bring you in to help catch people who are on par, if not better than you. Right. It's all fake. What? The entirety of his own story isn't remotely real. There was Wait, an author. is he real? He's real. He's very real. He's a real human being who wrote the book, who has a picture with Leonardo DiCaprio at the movie premiere, who went on all of these shows. But he never did. He was never a pilot. He was never a surgeon. He was never. Nope. He just made that up? A journalist. He wrote a fiction book? A journalist. Alan C. Logan started to dig into his background because he was like, this is incredible, right? This is right. insane that he somebody- was a doctor. This young was able to do all of this stuff, regardless if it was like the 60s and 70s. It was incredible that anybody would just willingly do any of this stuff and that would never get caught until the FBI caught wind of it, right? He said that all of this stuff happened between the ages of 16 and 20, but Logan went through public records and obtained- his prison time where he was in jail or incarcerated 
during that time of his life. Oh, no. He also showed that Abagnale had never been a pilot, but merely stalked a flight attendant's schedule across the eastern seaboard. And the only claim of defrauding a bank or business that he could find was, again, contradictory to the evidence of fraud that was actually levied against him. So is he still alive, Kev? Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean, do we care? Like, it, I, mean, I mean, I just think it's funny that a guy who who told you he was a liar, yeah, then lied to you, yeah, and we believed it, right? Like that's and, the magician's and then we code. We paid him money. Yeah, that for was the, the story. that's the magician's code. A magician says, "What I'm going to show you is a lie. I'm yeah. going to tell you it's a lie. Yeah. I'm going to show you the lie, but then you're going to believe me." And that is exactly what the con man wow. did. He was a con man being a con man who did con man things, and we're all like, "But he wouldn't lie to us." <laughs> He wouldn't lie to Steven Spielberg. He wouldn't lie to Steven Spielberg or Leo. Oh, my God. Tom Hanks. Who lies to Tom Hanks? Frank Abagnale Jr. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? So has he made any comment about it or anything? Oh, God, no. How old is he? Do we know today? I don't know, but I can Google that for you right now, Deborah. So I'm going to say if he was 16 to 20 and doing that in the 50s, I mean, oh, my gosh, he must be at least in his 70s, maybe 80-something. He is 73 Born in Bronxville, New York in 1948. Wow. Laughing all the way to the bank. So here's what's great. Like he has old school photos, like black and white photos of him in um, uh, pilot oh my fatigues. He's, he has this faked um, badge yeah. for Pan Am. Like he had all of this stuff. So I assume he had all of this stuff to be able to just get in places or yeah. sneak around. But then he's like, oh, my gosh, I have all of these old photos. If anybody ever checks, I can say, like, well, this is what I used to do to get on the planes. And these are the outfits that I bought. And these are like these. This is the way that I would um, fake checks. Isn't that insane? You know what I'm going to go do, Kev? I'm going to go to the Army Navy surplus store. Okay. I'm going to buy some uniforms that'll fit you. Okay. We're going to take pictures of you with them on. Okay. I'm going to go buy scrubs. I'm going to have it monogrammed with Dr. Kevin Zener and then something underneath it. Cool. Okay, we're just going to take the pictures just in case. Just in case. I don't know that it works like that now. Like, I don't think that 37-year-old Kev (laughs) posing as a doctor who does a a podcast that we publicly put out there with accompanying videos on YouTube and our social media gets to all of a sudden say in 20 years, remember when I was a doctor? (laughs) We could create a scenario here. Remember when I I just used to cut people open for fun? Kevin, like, I want you... To apply to medical school. So you're going to take, we can do it on the podcast. Do the MSAT, all of that, right? Is it MSATs? I have no idea. Far smarter people than me would know. I just think it's hilarious that even in this day and age, which I mean, I guess it would have still, it would have still been early 2000s that nobody thought to cross-reference anything that he said Mm -hmm. to where you were dealing with a liar and a crook and a known criminal and that you wouldn't have even gone to the FBI and be like, was he ever on the payroll? Because that's a pretty easy box to check. No, for sure. Everybody was, they just thought it was such a salacious story. That somebody in the FBI didn't say, let's just look him up. Like what office did he work in? Where was he? I mean, and by the way, Tom Hanks had a real FBI name. Yeah. Like, where is he, right? I think it's, I'll bet what happened is enough people, like when the story came out, probably nobody truly cared about it, right? right. Then somewhere, some way, some young kid became an FBI agent and loved that 
movie and thought, I wonder if I can find any files on Frank Abagnale mm. Jr., right? And just did some, you know, moderate deep dive, realized there was nothing there other than like a criminal record, which he could clearly see right. that that right. none of the none of the stuff overlapped appropriately with his own life. And then he just called up a journalist and was like, I dare you to look into this. I'm not going to give you any information, but it's not going to be hard for you to find everything you need to find to totally bring this guy to yeah. light. Amazing. amazing. It's amazing. And and it's amazing if there isn't any criminal activity in there anywhere along the way. No, I think there's a lot of criminal activity in there along the no, way. In the storytelling part of it. Is there, I mean, is there, was a crime committed? By lying? Yeah. Is lying a crime? I don't think so. I think you can lie in a book as, as much as you want. Do you remember that book? It was in the Oprah book club and it was the guy who wrote about being a drug addict. It was like oh, 10,000 yeah, 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 million yeah. pieces. I read that book before any of that stuff came out. And I can remember thinking it was the most heart wrenching, like brutal story I've ever heard in my entire life. Now I assumed it happened to a real person. She found out because people did their due diligence right. that it was all fake. And so she yeah. had him back on and kind of, you know, read him the riot act. But I can remember thinking his words still resonate with people. Because it talks about addiction and overcoming it and finding new relationships while sober. Like, does it diminish the story if the story itself isn't true in that situation? It doesn't. I don't know that it diminishes the story because it's either pieces of other people's story collectively Mm -hmm. or it is really like somebody's story. But here's what I think ends up happening is that there are people that don't take the import of the message away the way they should when they don't think the story is accurate and real. I mean, the only thing that I think anybody would take umbrage with is that this guy was claiming it was his own, got it to Oprah. Oprah sold millions of those books, which yeah. go into his and the publisher's pocket. And so, so you lied to make money, and that's, of course, not good. But she tried to, in that moment, like scold him for lying about the story to which I would say that shouldn't be your issue. Your issue should be he lied about the story to gain profit from it. The story itself can still probably help people along the way. This Frank Abagnale thing, well, it was nothing, nothing but his own, you know, lies. And and honestly, it was entertainment. Totally. Like, even if you would have told me it wasn't a true story, I would say, well, that movie is still good. Right. No. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like the only people that would really have issue with him is like if somebody went under the knife, I guess, and it, especially if it didn't work out. Right, right? which he said you know? he never actually did anything. Right, 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 that he just advised people. Because I'm sure if he would have ever admitted to doing something, then would've people would have actually come for him. Really bad. Really, really bad. Really bad. Deb, I give you all the applause in the world. Oh, you did Kevin. a fantastic job. I'm so proud of you. I, oh, thank That's you. That's all you. the podcast listeners. Kevin, I'm going to make a new commitment. Now that I've been successful in this and I feel what that is like, I feel like, gosh, I've got a vision now. I know what I was talking about when I invented, created, came up with this segment, and I'm going to see it through to its fullest. I I could not not believe you more. There's nothing about what you're saying to me right now that I'm like, you know what? She's turned over a new leaf. She's turned over a new leaf. A new year, new Deb. Like from where? I just <laughs> an, I anticipate receiving that text message or that mm. statement in person multiple times over after ha- after you having said Kevin I'm in it, <laughs> I'm, in it. I'm still <laughs> trying to explain to you what good job internet means. Listen, sometimes I just it's you know sometimes. It's, 
<laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. I want to get it right. I want to desperately get it right. Do you? you? No, I do. <laughs> do you? I do. Oh, do you? I do. Yes, I do. Well, we'll end on that high note of Deb wanting to be a better <laughs> version of herself. So that's going to do it for this Thursday episode of the Deb and Kev podcast. Remember to like, rate, and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And you can follow us on all of our social channels at Deb and Kev Pod. Mom, Paul Harvey, I love you to death. I love you, Brian Williams. <laughs> we'll see you guys on Monday. And that's the rest of the story. Good day. Thank you for listening to the Deb and Kev podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. Follow Deb and Kev on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter at Deb and Kev Pod. 